One of the things that happened with me before I got married, I was an idiot when it came to finances. See, my first job was washing dishes at a nursing home. And I was 17, I had no concept of saving, I had no idea what a budget was or financial planning. Now all I saw was I got my paycheck and then I would spend it. I'd buy junk food, I'd spend it on video games, I would just spend it on whatever I wanted to. I mean, I was a 17 year old. But the older I got, my finances only seemed to get worse. Uh, someone thought it was a bright idea that I could qualify for a credit card. And I legitimately saw this credit card as, as free money. You know, I don't have cash, so what do I do? I just swipe that credit card. I'm at a gas station, I want some food, swipe that credit card. I want something online, yeah, I'm just gonna swipe that credit card. I just loved the idea of spending money. And one, uh, I met my wife, Debbie, she's like, your finances are a mess. You have maxed out credit cards and you're like not even making enough money to, to pay for what you're buying. So <laughs> that, was, that was a good time of my life. But I look back at that time, there are two values that dictated my behavior. And the first was I believed that the money that I owned belonged to me. It's easy to see whose name was on the paycheck. It was, it was mine. Who was the one showing up for work? It, it was me. Who was the one who was using abilities and skills to grow at my work? Well, of course it was me. So why wouldn't this money belong to me? The second value that I had that dictated my behavior was that money was supposed to serve my wants and my needs. I used money to make me happy. When I was sad, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna buy food to make myself happy. When I'm feeling down, I'm going to go buy something to find enjoyment out of. I didn't have problems dropping almost sometimes my entire paycheck on the things that I wanted because my beliefs dictated how I was going to spend my money. Anyone else here kind of coming with that same mindset of, of finances, looking at what we have belonging to us, using our money to serve ourselves, to serve our wants, to serve all of these things. It's our values and our beliefs that shape how we approach our finances. Some of us hold on to every penny. We believe that if we let go or if we are our Waste, wasting money, then there's a chance that we are losing our significance, our security for the future. Others pridefully look at their finances and everything that they have accumulated as a result of their hard work in life, and so they can spend it however they please. I know so many others who uh, just don't have much wealth, yet they compare their lives to others saying things like, well, once, once I get this money, then my life will be happy. Then I'll be able to find freedom. Then I'll be able to be independent and secure and all of these things. What usually happens and when people end up getting more money, they don't spend on their necessities. They don't spend on the things that they need to survive. They spend on the things that they want, that they desire. They make large, unnecessary purchases 
making their lives more difficult. If you've known this phenomenon, most people who win the lottery end up becoming bankrupt the next year. They are spending beyond their means, and they're living for their finances. And so what we see a lot times is when we are living for our money, we often find greater despair, we find greater discontentedness. So the problems in our life is not because of our money, regardless of how much we have or how much we don't have. The problem lies in our hearts looking for peace and satisfaction and joy in something that can't satisfy. And looking to honor ourselves, we only find emptiness and vanity. Our sermon series this past month has been focusing on priorities, how we look at the next year and we reorient our priorities to really be focused on God, to be focused on our family. Today we're going to be talking about focusing on our finances, but reorienting our priorities where we can find an abundant and good life. And so what we find is that God is offering us a life of peace, a life of goodness, a life of abundance, and it oftentimes with how we orient our lives around our priorities. So today, we're talking about prioritizing finances. Now, money seems to kind of be a little bit of a touchy subject sometimes, right? People say, oh, you know, churches, they're only interested in your money. People only care about what you produce. And there is certainly truth to some churches in our nation that, that care and prioritize money and only desire more money. But the older I get and the more I, I know what God is doing in other churches, I'm, I'm often seeing that that is the exception, not the norm. So the conversation around money is often complicated, not because money is complicated, but because our own hearts are complicated in how we see and how we use money. In fact, Jesus taught more about money than anything else. He taught a total of 39 parables throughout the New Testament, and one-third of those deal with money. One-third of those focus on on not just money as the issue, but our hearts being the issue with money. And in every case, our desires, we want more money. We want to, to hold on to what we have. And the result is that we honor ourselves above honoring the good that God has given us. The passage that Jaylene read, us for, read for us this morning comes out of what's called the Olivet Discourse. Days before Jesus is crucified on the cross, he is asked by his disciples, what's life going to look like when you're gone? They're anticipating some kind of vague notion that he's going to die, and they're not quite understanding the picture. And so Jesus is, is laying out the expectation on how his disciples are supposed to live in between his ascension and his ultimate return. And this is the period of time that we are in. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30 teaches us that we should be good stewards, honoring Jesus and how we use our finances. So it raises a quick question for us. What is stewardship? Stewardship simply means that we manage someone else's resources, investing our time, our talents, 
and our treasures into the lives of others. And as a steward, we are placed in with the sole position and the responsibility for the good of another. A good steward manages resources better than they do on their own. So this idea of stewardship isn't just unique to this passage. It is taught throughout the whole Bible. We see this precedent from the creation account when God spoke creation into being and then created humans by forming us in the dust and then giving us dominion and stewardship over all creation. But the psalmist also tells us this. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in, uh, dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What it practically means for us as we look at our resources, as we look at what we have, as we look at our bank accounts, it means that we don't actually own anything. Everything that... The, the car that we drive, the house that we live in, the money in our bank account, the land that we own, everything already belongs to God, and he has given it to us as stewards. James 1 tells us that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Everything that we own has been given to us by God. Of course, some are saying, well, you know, I worked for the job. I put the time in the effort. My name is the one on the door. My name is on the paycheck. Doesn't that belong to me? And to that, I say, that's a great point. That's a great observation. But where did you get the ability to excel at your work? Where did you get the health to be able to go into work? Who gave you life in your lungs to breathe? And the answer to that is all God. God is the one who has provided and has given us these abilities to work, but, the, but understanding that we are his stewards. But stewardship, the idea here is it's a practical obedience on how we are supposed to live with the administration of everything under God's control, how we spend our money, where we spend our money, and all with the understanding that it doesn't actually belong to us, but it belongs to God who gave it to us. Now we know what stewardship is like. We're able to look at the passage between what is a good steward and what is a bad steward. Verse 14, for it, uh, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. As we work through this passage let me just give you a quick answer key so you know who Jesus is talking about. The master in this parable is Jesus. And the servants are all followers of Jesus. So the parable lays out Jesus' expectations on how we are to live in light of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So verse 15 uh, each servant is given a different amount. You can see that. One servant is given five talents. One servant is given two talents. One servant is given one talent. And it is solely based on their ability and nothing else. Now, we're, we don't really use talent as a measurement for money, uh, but the equivalent to today's money is one talent equals 
roughly $1.5 million. And so this is a very wealthy master. So for the first servant, he, he is given close to $7.5 million to steward. The second, the second servant is entrusted with roughly uh, $3 million. And then, of course, the last servant is given roughly $1.5 million. This is what they are entrusted with, and they are given not based on value, but they are given based on ability. And so just real quickly, as we look around at our, at our own life, we are entrusted with varying abilities, varying resources, and the difference in how someone is wealthy and how someone is not wealthy is not based on value, it is based on ability. We are all equally sons and daughters of God, and there is no distinction between that, but the resources that are entrusted to us is purely based on what we can do for the kingdom of God. In light of this responsibility, we see what good stewardship looks like, and that, the first thing is, is being diligent. In verses 16 and 17, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had the two talents and had two talents more. Jesus is telling us in this parable that these first two servants, they are immediately putting their resources to work. There's no hesitation. There seems to be kind of joy and happiness in bringing honor to their, to their master. They are eager to do the hard work necessary to bring a return on the master's investment. They are putting their money to work. They're not having their money work for them. They understood the role of what it is to be a good student, a good steward, where they are working to honor and represent their master in everything that they say and everything that they do in this world in his absence. So their attitude to increase the master's wealth reminds me of what Thomas Edison once said. He said, I never did anything worth doing by accident, nor did any of my inventions come by accident. They came by work. So the stewards are diligent in working hard for what the master has entrusted them. So again, our expectation as followers of Jesus is that we work to the best of our ability to what God has given us, that we steward what God has given us using the resources for his kingdom. We're not supposed to work for ourselves, but we are supposed to work for our King Jesus. So many people in our lives want more money but they don't really do anything about it. They believe that if circumstances change, then they can find happiness. But the Bible tells us that if we take the initiative not to work for ourselves, but to work for Christ, that God is going to reward our efforts. The second thing that we learn about good stewardship is that it makes, that you, uh, good stewards make wise financial decisions. So again, we see these servants putting their money to work. So even though the servants have different amounts, they both begin by putting their master's finances to work, investing and saving and trading and even possibly giving some away. So making wise financial decisions, we have to save excess finances. 
Proverbs 13, 11 tells us that wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The thing about the future is that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we save our wealth in the case of an emergency. We save our wealth to be generous. When something inevitably comes up, our savings allows us sometimes to navigate loss of job, loss of health, loss of economy, and it also allows us to be generous in the lives of others. As we find that we have more financial margin through intentionally saving money, we can give more and find financial freedom as we invest in the lives of others. As we make another wise financial decision, we are to reduce debt. Starts by living out this Proverbs 22:7 mindset. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the money. The median debt in America is over $96,000 per household. Our society tells us that all debt is good, and just take out another credit card. Just do spend more, even though you have less money coming in. Take loans. Uh, spend money for yourselves not thinking about how this debt will often impact our future. The more that we are indebted to creditors, the less financial freedom that we have for our lives. Another way that we can make wise financial decisions is give. Uh, this one seems a little counterintuitive. How we are giving our money away is, how, how is this a wise financial decision? Aren't I supposed to be saving? Aren't I supposed to be reducing my debt and uh, spending less than I'm, than I'm bringing in. But as we look at this idea of giving money away, investing our lives is a way for our, our hearts to not be entwined with money, for our hearts to not be invested in thinking and working for money, but working for the gospel. We see this idea in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 when we are told, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We give not as a way to bring honor to ourselves, but we give as a way to honor our master, King Jesus. And so as we see in Jesus' example, he gave his entire life for us, dying for us on the cross, where we inherit the riches of heaven and we experience the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives on our daily basis. So being a wise steward is to give back to others as, as God has given us the gospel. But in giving, we also demonstrate that God is in control of our lives. God is in control of our hearts. And so as we look at the servants in this parable, they worked hard, they made wise financial decisions, and as a result, they each doubled their master's wealth. And we know that these first two were good stewards, but what about this other servant, the one only receiving that one talent? Look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So while the first two servants were at work investing and putting their master's resources to work in the lives of others, this servant is digging a hole and is doing nothing with it. So we see that bad, good stewardship leads to 
working hard and making wise financial decisions. Bad stewardship is lazy and makes unwise financial decisions. Contrasting these first two servants, the, Jesus is, is showing us that rather than putting this investment to work, he's digging a hole and he's telling himself, well, my master's just a hard man. My master just will understand that I didn't take any risks, I didn't do anything, I just sat on it. He'll be pleased with that. But he, does not, he doesn't live up to the expectations that are given to him. So the next part of the parable should cause some of us to reflect on how we are stewarding the resources that God is living or giving us and living with a kingdom mindset. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Some of us need to know that our master Jesus is returning. We don't know when he's coming, but we know that he's coming. Like the servants who are going to give an account of how they stewarded what was given to us, both of the servants who worked hard advancing the master's kingdom, they are showing the books, they're showing what they did with the master's resources. They doubled his wealth. And so because of their desire to honor their master, the response is the same for both servants in verse 21 and 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Both servants are rewarded with greater responsibility, greater trust from their master, but more importantly, they are invited to enjoy their master's presence. The, Jesus is going to invite us in as we steward the resources that we have done well into his presence, into his, uh, to understand him better, and he will give us more resources to invest into his kingdom. Now we have to look at the result of bad stewardship. This is in verse 24. The third servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. What can we learn from this servant with improper motivations towards, which leads to bad stewardship? It's a fear from failure and risk that causes us to hoard resources for ourselves. It's a fear of losing security. It's a fear of losing our status in the world, that we have to hold on to what we have worked for. This is the idea where we build bigger barns, we save more, we pinch every penny out of fear of losing our significance because our identity is tied up in our money or in what we don't have. As we're kind of processing through this, I'm always fascinated by the NFL draft. There's usually uh, almost always a number one draft pick that's supposed to change the league, change the game of football. They are the best of the best college players entering into the NFL. Sometimes these are highly touted players, but they end up busting. They end up being out of the league within three or four years because 
while they had a tremendous natural talent, they didn't invest that talent to grow in their skill and their ability as, 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 as whatever position that they were playing in. They're just lazy. They're not investing what, what they have already. And so the same is true for our finances. When we are too fearful or too prideful to make the necessary steps in being good stewards, we lose out on enjoying God's presence and we lose out on a life of abundance. This is how the master's going to respond to us for those who do nothing to seek the kingdom of God first. He says, verse 28, you wicked and slothful servant, uh, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was with my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So he's effectively removing the resources that was entrusted to this, first, this third steward and giving it to the first one. The sole focus and sole motivation for the first two stewards and what makes them good stewards is that they were looking to represent their master, King Jesus, in every area of their lives. The third servant was doing the bare minimum and entrusting living for himself. It's interesting, he put more work into crafting an excuse rather than taking the work to actually invest his resources. So what we do with our resources shows who's really on the throne of our lives. God is not pleased with the servant because he had fear, but because this fear prevented him from doing anything for God's kingdom. The third servant demonstrated that he actually didn't know who his master was. And because of that, he didn't take risks in investing in God's kingdom. So when we take the resources that God has given to us and we put them to work out of motivation to honor God and to please God with our lives, we find the key to abundant life in verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. See, God wants our hearts fully surrendered to him in all that we say and all that we do. And our finances are the way that we show, do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? So here's the purpose of, of the sermon today, that we are to honor the Lord with our finances by being a good stewards with the resources that God has given us. In my own life, it took me a long time to understand how the gospel shapes how I spend my money. After I had this process of going through my personal beliefs and values and on what money is and how I spend money, God began to press both my wife and I to give money back into God's kingdom, investing in missionaries, investing in organizations, investing in our church, investing in the lives of people where we could be generous, where we can live freely, and nothing about this decision made sense at the time because my wife and I were both students. We were struggling to pay our bills, our student bills and our house bills, and it didn't make feasible sense to give God our finances first. When we finally decided to do that, not only did our values change in how we're, how we're supposed to use our money, but we found God was working in our lives 
more clearly because we learned to give up our heart. We honored him with what he had given us. The more that we understand that this world is not our home, the more that we can see that our finances have been entrusted to us, and the more that we are able to use our finances to worship God rather than worship money. I love what pastor and author Randy Alcorn says. He says, God wants your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom. He wants people who are so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, their time, and their prayers where they will matter most. So one of the best ways for us to understand where our heart is is simply open our bank account. What we spend and what we don't spend is indicative of where our heart is. If we find that we are having frivolous things that we are buying on that have no value in the lives of other people, that, that may be an indication that our hearts are not fully submitted to God. If we find that we are hoarding on to money and we are not spending anything, that, that may be an indication that our hearts are not fully aligned with the Lord. So we have just one final question this morning. How are you stewarding the resources that God has given you? As followers of Jesus, we should strive to hear our master say, just like with the first two servants, well done, good, faithful servant. This only happens as we invest our lives and seek to honor God with everything that we have. So we have four different ways to grow as stewards of finances. And I want to encourage you just to take time this week and, and take time this year prioritizing at least one of these. Not to be a better Christian, not to show people how much wealth you have, but just as a tangible way for you to grow, to honor God with what he has given you. And I encourage you just to make room and to surrender to what God has for you and his desire for you. So we have four different ways to grow as stewards of our finances. Uh, some of you this morning just need to know to be diligent to work. Uh, this involves creating a financial plan. I know that some of us just don't have the ability to do physical labor, but we can still be wise with the resources that God has given us through planning, through budgeting, through making a financial plan and, and holding to that. But God wants us to be diligent with our resources, knowing where everything is going for the sole purpose that his kingdom is being advanced. This doesn't mean that we are giving everything away and then living in, in squalor, but that we are, we are paying our bills, we are being wise with our finances. It also means that the purpose of our work and our diligence is to invest in the lives of others, learning how to get control of our finances through planning, through budgeting. Others need to just save. You know, there are, there's a family that I know that has never saved a day in their life. They told me that they always take their paychecks, they pay their bills, they tithe, and then whatever's left over, they split 50-50 and they spend on whatever they want to. And looking at their lives, their lives are a financial mess just because they have not 
ever save. They're always having car issues that they can't pay for. They're always having house issues that they can't pay for. And this is always because they are not thinking the future into saving. saving some, for some of us, maybe saving just starts saving paycheck to paycheck rather than living paycheck to paycheck. And there's a lot of different advice on how much you should save, but really the, the, the goal is not just to save money, but to save money with a purpose. For others, we just need the idea to reduce our debt. Uh, debt, for some of us, is out of control. It's easy to swipe that credit card for fast cash and more money, take out more loans, and, and to live indebted to another. The reality is, is the more that we go into debt, the less that we have financial freedom, the less we are able to be generous and uh, invest in the lives of others. There are tremendous resources available to us on, on how to get out of debt. And I'd love to help you find a path forward. But God's desire is not that we are indebted to anyone. In fact, God desires that we, are, we owe nothing except that we love one another. And then others still, we just need to give. We need, we need to be generous. See, money can't serve our purposes. We can't hoard money. We can't spend recklessly being good stewards representing the master and all that we say we do. And this includes finances. Again, at the heart of the gospel is the heart of generosity where we have received a life of, of abundance, where we can share that life of abundance with others. God expects us to live generously, to live with other minds, with others in mindset. And so as we look at this part of the, this giving, maybe it's for some of us, it just means to give cheerfully because you're like, I give, give, give. We grumble and we complain. And God desires not that we grumble and complain about our giving, but that we give cheerfully. We give what we have decided to give. And we give again with the purpose of investing in God's kingdom. So I encourage you just to take time this week praying where God is leading you on how to grow as a steward of his resources. And let me just say that God is a kind and caring father who wants the best for us. He wants us to experience financial freedom. He wants us to experience the good life that can only be found in seeking his kingdom first. This is where our hearts are to honor and seek him in everything. And when we honor him with our hearts, we find a greater abundance in every area of our lives. And we also find a greater joy or a greater joy in his return as we share his presence and in his love for us. May we look to 2023 and may we prioritize our finances to honor and glory to God, not ourselves.